in our third focus on Ephesians 1, 17 to 19, I want us to look at this phrase, in the knowledge of Him, God. Paul is praying, remember, after that amazing first long sentence in Ephesians, full of doctrine and theology and a great vision of this God. And it would take a lifetime to plumb the depths of the knowledge of God that is in verses 3 to 14. And so it is remarkable now that Paul is praying, praying that we would know him. In other words, that all of those verses would not have been written in vain, would bounce off our hard hearts as though they didn't have any truth or beauty or value. So he's praying that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation. And the first effect and the main effect of that gift of a spirit of wisdom and of revelation. We talked about whether that's a big S or a little S and, and agreed that it's really both. The Holy Spirit-shaped human spirit that is discernibly wise because it is so spiritually receptive to apostolic revelation, as is plain from 3, 3 through 6. All of that happens for the sake of being full of the knowledge of Him. A spirit of wisdom and a revelation in the knowledge of Him. The effect of this is that we have more of the knowledge of Him. Wisdom affects knowledge of Him. Revelation affects knowledge of Him. A wise spirit discerns truth about God. A, a, re, a revelatory spirit discerns truth and beauty and value in God. So, Father, as I attempt to probe deeper into the meaning of the knowledge of yourself, show us dimensions of what this implies and work this knowledge in us now and for the rest of our lives. Indeed, the rest of eternity. It will take that long to get to the bottom of your knowledge and the top of your knowledge. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, we're going to ask, what is it? What is it? How does it happen? How does it come about with the Spirit? And why is it so important? What is it? Well, it's not this. Mark one twenty three. Immediately there was in the synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, a demon. And the demon, through the man, cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know, I know who you are, the Holy One of God. This knowledge is accurate. It's more accurate and full than all the scholars of Jesus' day. The demons had more knowledge, more true knowledge of Jesus as the Holy One of God than the Pharisees and the scribes and the Sadducees. 
That's astonishing. And that's true today as well. So it's not just knowledge, right? We don't want more demon knowledge. Thank you very much. We don't want any more of that. Here's another glimpse of it. Romans 121. Although they knew God, and this is not Jews, as in the story from Mark. This is everybody. This is the Gentiles and the rest of the world. Although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. So picture this. These people know God and are darkened. They know God and they are foolish in their hearts. They know God and their minds are futile. They know God and give him no thanks. They know God and have no honor for him. We don't want any more of that. So that's what it's not. What is it? Let's go back and pick up a biblical implication of knowledge. Adam knew his knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. This is sexual intercourse. It's delicately and carefully spoken with a kind of circumlocution. To know in the Bible is to, in its best form, have a kind of relationship with a person, with God in this case, that has significant parallels with sexual intimacy, bonding, covenant love, affection, pleasure, enjoyment. Is that ever applied to God? Look at Hosea. God says to his people, I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you. That means make you my, my beloved spouse. I will betroth you to me in righteousness and in justice, in steadfast love and in mercy. I will betroth you to me in faithfulness, and you will know the Lord. You can't miss the sexual overtones of that. It's not stated in any kind of body, risque, or insensitive way. He's not trying to um, provoke anybody's antagonistic response. He just wants to say there is a profound way that God relates to his people as husband to wife, and the knowing between them is as intimate and pleasurable and significant and beautiful as godly sexual intercourse with a committed married couple that gets at some of the powerful depths of what it means to know God. Here's 1 John. By this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Now parallel that with this. This is 1 John 5, 3 and 2, 3. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. So knowing God is evidenced by keeping his commandments, 
And parallel to that is loving God is evidence by keeping his commandments. So I'm suggesting that just like we've seen with the implications of the word no, loving God and knowing God are overlapping realities in the New Testament. Here's Jesus. This is eternal life. What is eternal life? That they know you. This is Jesus talking to his Father. This is eternal life, Father, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. To know God is to have eternal life. And that means this life is in this knowing. This is not just an inheritance. Eternal life begins now, and the evidence of eternal life is this kind of knowing. What's the problem? with why knowledge isn't happening in human beings that way. Ephesians 4, we're back to Ephesians now. You must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of their heart. Wow. What an indictment of the human nature, summed up in chapter 2, verse 1, as dead, dead in trespasses and sins. And it all, this due to right here, puts hardness beneath ignorance, doesn't it? And that is attended by life alienated from life and darkness and futility. What has to happen to turn that around so that there can be not ignorance, not futility, not darkness, but true knowledge of God? That's what we want. Oh, to know God. To know God. What has to happen? Election had to happen in eternity. All things, Jesus says, have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father. No one knows the Father. That's what we want. I want to know the Father. Let me know God. No one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone the Son chooses to reveal him. And I put the Greek here just so you could see the connection back to chapter 1 of Ephesians. We have to have, in order to know God, we have to have a spirit of wisdom and revelation. There's the Greek word for revelation, a spirit of revelation. That is, a spirit that is sensitive to, open to, and embracing of divine revelation when it comes and Jesus says he's the one who gives it. The Son chooses to reveal the Father. That's how we get it. That's what Paul is praying for, the fullness of. These are Christians. They already have this happen to them. Here's the way the New Covenant describes what has to happen. I will give them a heart to know 
that I am the Lord. I will give them a heart to know that I am the Lord. And what's going to be the effect when that new covenant promise happens? They shall be my people and I will be their God and they shall return to me with their whole heart. Oh God, do it, right? We want that to happen in us. We want him to do such a heart work in us so that we know him in such a way that we come to him with our whole heart. And here's the way Paul describes that happening, that effect in our lives. 2 Corinthians 4, 6, God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has, this is what has to happen in every human heart that's so dark, so hard, so ignorant, so lifeless. He has shown in our hearts to give the light that overcomes all the darkness of the knowledge of the glory of God. If God doesn't do this, if Jesus doesn't ordain this, if the Holy Spirit of wisdom and of revelation isn't poured out in fullness on us, we won't know the glory of God. And if we don't know the glory of God, now this is my last answer. Why is this so important? If we don't know the glory of God, that is, if when we don't, if if when we see the revelation, we don't perceive and embrace and enjoy the beauty and the value and the greatness of the glory of God, we won't be able to praise his glory as he said we should in one six, one twelve, one fourteen, which was the main point of the whole book, the praise of the glory of God. And, and I should end with just this last thing. Why, why is it important? <laughs> oh, Peter. Second Peter 1, 3. God's divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his glory and excellence. If we don't have this, we won't know anything about how to live and be godly. Everything needed for godliness, everything needed for life comes through the knowledge of God. So, Lord, answer Paul's prayer and grant to us a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of yourself.